This is the Perfectly Mentored Podcast with your host, Jason Portnoy. Everyone gets obsessed with revenue, right? How much revenue can I make? And it's almost like that's a vanity metric because like you said, you're making 250000 plus dollars and everyone starting a brand thinks, wow, I want to make $250,000 because then I can live life on my own terms. And they have no clue that, that no, you're so far from, from making any money off that. So, I mean, what do you tell entrepreneurs when, when all they focus on is revenue? I tell them now something very different uh, related to lessons I learned. So just, just plain old, like if we just take it simple, you're lucky if you make, if you net 10% of all that, because 250,000, half of it goes to production costs. Uh, you have to factor in taxes, right? There's all sorts of things that keep chipping away. So if you're lucky, you come out of that with $25,000 in profit, then add New York city to it. That doesn't buy you much in New York City as far as rent and food. In fact, I lived on $23,000 a year for many years and it's almost impossible um, to like, I ate ramen and still, you know, I'll never forget Con Ed sitting outside my door saying, we're not leaving until you give us a check. So um, it does not go far in New York City. So I think what I tell people, we hit an inflection point in 2009 where it was like, do we go big as a brand and just who cares about a profit? Lots of brands were doing that. They were growing big. It looks sexy. Ooh, we're a billion dollars. Or do we stay smaller and still grow, but profitably? We chose the big, sexy unicorn status and you are pumping money that you don't have or other people's money that you don't have into a business where you're crossing your fingers and you're saying, if we get there, then we get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And every decision we made as a company was factored around that. And then one very fine day as we were getting all like excited about what our value was, every single investor we turned to said, are you profitable? Hmm. No. Oh, well, we're only looking for profitable companies now. And so it took, it was like turning the Titanic around to say, okay, how do we restructure the company to be profitable? So I say, to any new entrepreneur, please make sure that you have product market fit. Please make sure that you have people that demand and want your product. Please make it profitable. I know it's sexy to be on the cover of a magazine, but it's not so sexy when you basically are answering to the people who invested in you and what they wanna do. And uh, it's not sexy when you own 2% of your company as some, some big founders do who are on the cover of magazines. It's a lot sexier to say, we own the majority of our company. We control its destiny. We can pay ourselves well. We can live a nice lifestyle. So it's taken 10 years to right that wrong. Um, and I think, you know, just beware. It's not all about what you see and what that means from the inside. I, I agree. I, just, I have a follow-up on that. For the, for the small businesses that are listening right now, advertising is super important, right? So it's an investment they need to make that they may not, get anything out of, especially when you're proving a concept, especially when you want to test the market to see if there's a fit for it. How important is building a brand when it comes to success of your business or other business, or when you talk to entrepreneurs building businesses? I think it depends. I think early on, I was asked, do you want to be a designer or do you want to build a brand? And there's different behaviors. If you're just trying to be a designer, I think, um, 
you just operate differently. You market differently. How you get success translates differently. We decided we wanted to be a brand. So what did that mean? It meant that I was at the helm of the brand, but that we're not just about the designer. We're about a lifestyle. So what is that lifestyle? Who is that woman? Why does she buy into this? So we had to come up with what are the pillars that the brand stands for? What are the, you know, where, where's the Venn diagram where I intersect into that? Um, and so I think that depending on what you're building, um, you know, a customer, no matter what, wants to know that the brand they're associating with means something more than just the product. You have Supreme. People go nuts for that brand. They can slap that label on a Band-Aid and people will buy it because of what Supreme means to them. So when you figure out what do you mean to the customer, that's when you can start building a brand around what those values are. And so for you, how hard is it when it comes to building a brand around your name? Because you must be, uh, I guess, you know, when, when you have employees working for you and you're not involved in the day-to-day and something gets put out or something gets done, it's your name ultimately that gets out there. It's a brand, your name's now a brand, but it's still you. Uh, how do you, I guess, um, you know, intervene when it comes to things like that? So I had to go through some um, cognitive dissonance uh, with separating myself from the brand. Um, I think when you have the right people in place and we didn't for a long time, I'll never forget, you know, a store came in and they wanted a laptop bag that said nerd alert on it. And I said, that's disgusting. And I would never do that. And our president at the time said, do you want the order for 5,000 units or not? Do you want me to go back and say, we didn't make our numbers because we didn't do this? And I was like, whoa, I don't want that load. Okay. Put nerd alert on the bag and let's see if it sells. Right. And so that's a really tough thing to swallow that you said yes to that and you let it happen and it doesn't tie back to the brand at all. Currently, we have an incredible woman at the helm and I can trust that she makes the right decisions. Now, does that mean that I'm going to wear and you know, be the face of every single item we make? No. But um, a friend of mine you know, said, this brand at the highest is you and it becomes the most diluted version of you at the most commercial part of it. So as long as that dilution is true to the source, it's fine. I think when that dilution becomes something like, oh, that's horrific. Ooh, like, you know, like I've made those faces at my product, then you know something's off. But if you can say, hey, for the woman who lives in North Dakota, no, no slights North Dakota, who maybe isn't in a metropolitan city seeing the fashion, do I expect her to wear something that someone in New York or LA would wear? Not really. So what is that diluted still piece of the brand that still means something to her? Is it an earring? Is it a sweatshirt, right? And does it still have my stamp? Then great. So going back a second, when, when you said, you know, you were, you got started in New York and New York's a tough city. A lot of designers moved to New York in hopes of making it. Yep. So I guess what, what, what made you stand out in, in your mind? What, what do you think differentiated you from all the people, from all the people who come in there with hopes and aspirations that don't see it to fruition? I think the two biggest and most important things that you have to have as a skill set is the ability to ask for help, the ability to network and rely on people that are in this sphere to help you and the ability to persist. We've had more holes in our boat than I've ever cared to imagine. 
um, instances where you're just like, you cannot make this shit up. And people would run from those. Any, any normal person would run from some of the challenges we've had. And we just keep going. We say, this is just a barrier that we will overcome. Um, and I think that I very quickly realized the power of whether it's six degrees or sep uh, whether it's the power of six degrees of separation or the ability of, oh, she knows someone who knows someone um, and leaning on that. Cause I didn't know anyone when I moved to New York, I had this shoddy little website that would like say fashion parties when they were, and I'd go to them with my business cards. And then I met a girl who would take me to a bunch of parties and introduce me. And then, you know, and I was able to go good. I came home at night and I counted my business cards like they were cash, you know? And then I followed up with those resources and contacts and asked them. And so you have to be comfortable doing that. You cannot be a designer that gets to shy away in the back and never speak to anyone. And it's all about your art. That sounds wonderful, but it's just not true in today's day and age. I think it's a business lesson, a life lesson, right? I, I don't think people ask enough for anything, period, right? If you want a sale, you have to ask for it. If you want that person to go out with you, you got to ask them, right? Everything begins with the ask. And, you know, when it comes to this podcast, having amazing guests like yourself, people always say, how do I get them? And I said, literally, I asked, right? Like, Rebecca, you, you, you'll come from this. I DM'd you on Instagram and that's how it started, right? Yeah. Like it, it starts with an ask. The worst case, the worst thing someone could say is no. And, and you learn to deal with it. So, but that's a mindset, right? Everything you talked about was, is a, a persevering and, and going through it, what, which a lot of entrepreneurs, true entrepreneurs, I should say, not the ones who want to do it because they get to take pictures on a yacht or a private jet. Um, but true entrepreneurs could persist and, and ride those lows and, and, and hammer through it. But that's a mindset. Did you always have that mindset or was it something you, you had to learn or work on? I think that I had that mindset for a long time because growing up, anytime I asked for something, the reply was, you have to earn it or figure it out yourself. So whether it was, um, you know, buying my first sewing machine, how are you going to pay for it? Whether it was um, going to summer camp, here the forms, register yourself. Uh, for a second, I thought I wanted to homeschool because that's what my brothers were doing. And she's like, here's the website and the application, fill it out on your own. And so you know, even at 16, I said, I want to go to New York city and see if it's where I want to live. And she's like, great, get yourself there and figure it out. And so that, that sort of primed me for that entrepreneurial mindset of, I don't know the answer, but I know how to figure it out. And I know I'm going to keep trying until I do. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you for your attention. And if you made it this far, you're clearly somebody who wants to take their business to the next level. You want to get better. And I understand that being an entrepreneur sometimes can feel like a little bit of a lonely journey, which is why being part of a thriving community of like-minded people is just so important. It was super helpful in my own development as well. And as is the ability to instantly get answers to the questions you may have in order to grow and scale your business. It's for that reason why I launched a consulting coaching program called the market domination method. And guess what? If you're listening to this and you hear this, we're open for applications right now for new members to join. So to request an invitation or to book a free diagnostic call, call it a game plan call. I'll literally sit with you and demonstrate the value that we could bring to your business on that call. Let's jump on a call. Uh, we'll discuss ways you could possibly grow your business. Head on over to jportnoy.com, J-P-O-R-T-N-O-Y.com. You'll find all the different ways you could work together. It's going to be the best business decision you'll make. So hope to speak soon. Head on over to jportnoy.com, book that free game plan call, and I look forward to talking to you soon.